We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Money Matters podcast, the podcast that aims to help you get to grips with your finances so you can live the life that you really want to live. Joining me as ever is Laura Souter. Hi, Laura. Hi there. So yes, one goal that strikes a chord with pretty much everyone in this nation obsessed with property is buying your own home, which is often the biggest purchase you will ever make and can take decades to pay off the debt. Yeah, there's no accident that the phrase an Englishman in his castle is used quite a lot. Um, But of course, in order to get that castle, the first step that most of us have to take to get onto the housing ladder is to save for a deposit. And that deposit is likely to be pretty steep. If you're a first-time buyer, though, you might be able to take advantage of the government's mortgage guarantee scheme. It means that lenders can offer you a 95% mortgage on homes up to £570,000 or a flat up to £275,000. But even then, you know, if you're talking about an average asking price of £365,000 at the moment, then you need to save over £18,000 for the deposit. You can't use the scheme I was just talking about for new builds, and it is due to come to an end at the end of the year. So another option for first-time buyers who are looking for tips and tricks on how to buy their property faster is the government's Help to Buy Equity Loan Scheme. Now, it's due to end fairly soon, so the clock is ticking on this one. But it basically allows people who have a 5% deposit to borrow additional money interest-free from the government. So up to 20% of the property value or up to 40% um, in London. And they borrow that interest-free for five years. And it's a really good boost to help people get onto the housing ladder. There are different limits on the value of the property that you can buy. It varies across regions in the UK. So you need to check those limits first and that you'll be within them. Um, The scheme has been around since 2013, but it does come to an end soon. So the deadline for getting your application in is 6pm on the 31st of October this year to be able to reserve your slot. And that scheme is for new builds. And just in case you are listening to this in the dim and distant future, this year is 2022 and we are talking in Mm -hmm. August. Uh, There are another couple of options of things that you might be eligible for, uh, including the first home scheme and shared ownership as well. You can find those details on the government website. And of course, we're all waiting to find out who the new prime minister will be just a couple of weeks to go. So it is worth keeping an eye on whether or not any further schemes to help people get on the housing ladder are introduced. Now, if we get to the nitty gritty of savings, there are also a few government schemes that can help you boost your deposit and so get to that sum quicker. We'll get into some of the comparisons and the detail of them later on. But one of the main ones that's still open is the lifetime ISA. And that's where the government gives you a 25% bonus on any money you pay into an account. You can pay in up to £4,000 a year, and then the government will add £1,000 to that. It has to be used for your first home, but it's a great option for first-time buyers who really want to supercharge their deposit savings. 
But if you want more tips on saving for your deposit, we're going to be hearing later on from Claire Seal of My Frugal Year on some tips on how to really build up that deposit fund. Yeah, and with the Lifetime ISA, free money. Who doesn't like free money? Um, One person who knows exactly how it all works is our colleague, Emma Keywood, who works on our Doddle platform. She recently moved into a new home and told me all about her savings journey. You were actually fairly young comparatively when you jumped on that housing ladder. How did that come about? Um, so yeah, so I was only 27. Um, and I think that's because I was I was quite a sensible um, youngster. Um, when I was at uni, so sort of around 2021, 20, um, the help to buy ISA came out. And I was fortunate enough, I was really working at AJ Bell's. So and I was living at home with my dad. So actually, my outgoings at uni weren't that much. And I was earning sort of um, a proper salary as well. So I managed to put a fair, fair chunk aside into my help to buy. Um, and I made sure, I think at the time it was around £200 that you could put in a month to the help to buy ISA. So I made sure I did that for as long as I possibly could. Um, life then got in the way, you know, once I started renting and having other expenses, um, stuff like that. I, I didn't I didn't save as much, um, didn't beat myself off about that. It was just like, okay, I'll try. And when I could, I popped a bit more in. Um and then when the Lifetime ISA came out onto the market, um, I was, again, because I think I was working um, within the industry, I was quite aware of it. So I moved my help to buy ISA over to a Lifetime ISA, um, which then meant that I could invest in stocks and shares. So um, I bought a couple of funds, sort of mainly kind of multi-asset funds that um at least if I wasn't necessarily topping it up because maybe I wanted to go on a nice holiday, they were growing. They were um, sort of growing over that that sort of period of about five years. Um, And then once I got to the point where I was like, right, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to buy a house. Um, I moved some more money as well from a stocks and shares ISA that I had into my lifetime ISA. So then I was making the most of the bonus. So where I was getting like you know up to a thousand pounds a year in government bonus as well that that really topped it up so basically I just tried to take advantage of everything that I could to make sure (laughs) that I got um a deposit together um over that that time but yeah it did sort of take take a fair fair chunk of time to to build up so you're you're not a typical house buyer young house buyer by any stretch of the imagination did you have friends at the time that you were talking to about help to buy ISA, about, you know, saving for a house? What did they think about what you were doing? I think, so I think when I sort of did the help to buy ISA, that was, um, that was quite unusual and no one really, no one really cared. They were all off, off at uni doing Freshers Week and stuff. Um, but as I got older, so sort of between the age, I think basically once we all turned 25, I think everyone's collective attention starts to go towards that. So, you know, two of my closest friends bought a house at the same time as well, and definitely colleagues here as well of a sort of similar age bracket were buying a house. And I think you do start to feel that everyone's on that kind of track a little bit more, but I was definitely the one that was going, right, okay, everyone, lifetime ISIS, let's use the government bonus, get the free money, um but everyone had different situations some people had you know more help from their parents like we all know about the bank of 
of mum and dad I didn't really have that so I was much more like looking at how I can be savvy some people were were a bit bit luckier see when you talk about the bank of mum and dad that sends chills through me because I've got two teenagers thankfully (laughs) no not quite at university yet but I know it's coming and I can see those sort of steps and I'm thinking the bank of mum and dad no it's closed (laughs) 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 <laughs> I think quite a lot of people as well. I think there's a bit of a change really with, with my generation finding that people's gra- like are inheriting more from like grandparents and that kind of generation because maybe our parents are a bit more set um, and actually that, that money is a bit more, more used for, um, for that younger generation to get us onto the housing ladder. So that's been something that I've definitely noticed amongst sort of peers. So if you hadn't had that savings cushion, if you hadn't started early... Could you have bought a house now or would you still be trying to juggle rent and everything? I think I probably would still be, yeah, juggling. Um, I think I don't, I absolutely don't believe in the like, okay, if you stop having your avocado toast, you're going to be able to buy a house. Um, But obviously I could have made lifestyle adjustments. Um, Like my partner and I, we did rent a two bedroom house before we bought because we wanted that space because we were working from home in a pandemic and we wanted a garden um you know there were there could have been sacrifices that we made there we could have lived in a a flat we could have saved money in that way um you you can always sacrifice the holidays though we did two years of that so I'm not sure that's something I want to give up at this point um so I think but I think we probably would have been a few years away still so when you finally thought uh, okay we've got enough money it's time to think about buying a house what what were those steps like how how did it all work for you um so we went to the pub and we wrote a list of all the things we needed to do um and the first thing was to find a mortgage broker so we went through a recommendation from a friend um sort of to to who that he'd already used this mortgage broker um, and went through the steps with with them. They were really supportive, kind of took us through all of our finances, looking at our outgoings, any debt, um, any sort of um, issues that might come up as part of like our jobs or anything like that, you know, like how long we've been at our companies, etc. cetera, um, to then kind of give us an illustration of how much we could potentially borrow. Um, and then adding that to our deposit, we're like, right, okay, well, that's our our budget. Um, that's what we need to start start looking at. Um, we did then get an agreement in principle as well, because most estate agents um, now, like, they won't let you view a property without having that principle agreement in principle in place. They want you to be like, yeah, we know that you're going to be able to borrow this money um, and be sort of serious. So um, that was a bit painful because it was only valid for 30 days so actually you kind of keep having to to do it and that um yeah was a bit of a worry with like affecting our credit scores so um we tried to balance that and uh, make sure that we were kind of doing viewings as quickly as we could etc um and then yeah that's the fun bit is going around and nosing at other people's houses um and getting started looking on right move saving them all on the app um and and going and having a look around um and you, I think you quickly started to get a feel for like, right, this is what we want. Um, things that I think, especially as a first time buyer, you might not think of as a, an issue. Um, there was one house that we viewed that had access, 
through the garden, like between your kitchen window and your garden, there was like a pathway for everyone to use their bins in and out. And we were like, absolutely, we don't want that. You don't want someone walking past with their bins while you're doing the washing up. Um, So you you start to get like a, no, I can't live with that. I can live with that. Um, And balancing that up again with the budget and he quickly starts to go, not sure this is worth this much compared to what I've seen elsewhere. You've become a bit of a, uh, you think you're like want to be a state agent, but I think you have to be quite um, discerning on, on what's actually worth it and what's worth it to you um, and what you prioritise. So you found the house that worked. We found three houses that worked and offered on three different houses before we found our final house because... Um, we were looking in December last year, sort of November, December time, and it was very competitive. Um, so we had two houses that went for massively over asking price. So we were just outbid. Um, and we had another house that we um, offered on, but the seller was a bit worried that we didn't have as high a deposit as other places because there was as other people, because there were some people not getting mortgages, which was something that we were um, surprised to encounter. um, And it's quite unusual. Um, But yeah, it was definitely one of those markets. And I think it's kind of quietened down now, judging by friends who are estate agents and stuff that you were um, offering, but not necessarily guaranteed getting a place. But luckily, the place that we now have um, came back onto the market after it had already been offered on and we'd had like our viewing cancelled. So it came back on the market um, and we found it. And I think we offered within sort of 12 hours. We were like, right, no, this this is it. And we're, we're going to do it. Um, and, and luckily that did get accepted, I think, the 23rd of December. So a Christmas present. So once it was accepted, what was the process like of being able to use your, your LISA? Um. So with ELISA, it all goes through your solicitor so that it's not um, sort of charged as a withdrawal, um, which means that you your solicitor kind of needs to be quite savvy on lifetime ISAs. And that was a challenge that we definitely found that um, they've been on the market for a few years now, but maybe they haven't been as well publicised. Um, and we really found that our solicitor was quite confused by the process. Um and in the end, I managed, I actually had to send her the forms um, because I had them through work um, and because she'd sent us help to buy forms. I think, you know, there are a lot of ISAs on the market um, and yeah, it, there was a little bit of confusion there. But once we got past that, um, we had both, myself and my partner had licenses with different providers. I have mine with, with AJ Bell. So um, that was that was fairly smooth as long as you if you did have a stocks and shares lifetime ISA you sell your investments first that's that's fairly quick once they've done all their checks um, and my partner actually was with Moneybox as he had a cash ISA because he started to save a bit um, after me so he didn't want to take that risk on the stocks and shares um, and they were really slick very automated processes um, and really like good communication as well so um, overall positive once we've got past those kind of solicitor hurdles um and hopefully that just means it won't happen for the next person that works with that solicitor firm and in terms of how much you'd managed to save what sort of amount did you have to be able to to offset the cost of the place because it's not cheap to buy in london 
No, so we actually bought just outside of London for that very reason. And we actually started by looking in um, Royal Tunbridge Wells um, and quickly decided that also was a little bit more expensive um, than we hoped for. So we, we moved just outside there. Um, so we actually took advantage. Again, I'd heard that after the pandemic, the gov- government were supporting bringing back 5% um, deposit mortgages, so 95% um, mortgages. Um so I really want us to take advantage of that and just just get on the housing housing ladder. Um, so we only actually had a seven percent mortgage on a nearly four hundred thousand pound house, um, which means that our mortgage bills are quite high um, as a percentage of our monthly income. But again, it very much depends on everyone's circumstances. I've got friends who yeah had a much higher deposit, but they've got a smaller house and they're mortgage payments are lower it, it really depends um and obviously with interest rates as well we moved quite quickly on the interest rate that we got so that it was a bit bit lower um so yeah it's we we were we were fortunate on again those um that government backed mortgages coming back as well so when you were able to get the key and to walk into your new house and the boxes are there to start to unpack how how did that feel um I mean obviously it was amazing and it was very emotional and a big big step forward in in my life um it's also incredibly daunting and I don't think anyone necessarily warns you about that that like it's like right this house is now my responsibility if something goes wrong I have to deal with that and we definitely had that that problem we had you know an issue with some plumbing turned out absolutely not to be an issue and was just our own stupidity but you have to deal with that you don't have a landlord anymore um so but then on the flip side it's also really fun to be able to go like this past weekend we painted the front of our house sage green because we can um and everyone else is on the road is white but it's our house and we own it so we can do that so that's been really great um only downside of that is that things are really expensive. Um, so that's, again, a shock. Curtains and blinds, always budget more for that um, than you think. <laughs> Paint is insane at the moment. Uh, we haven't done anything that requires any wood because wood is so expensive. The only things we've done is try to like salvage where the previous people had shelves or something that we didn't want. We've like taken those shelves and tried to turn them into something else because we don't want to buy anything wood um so yeah so lots of things um to to get carried away with and i think um it's okay it's your first house it's it's fun to to get um excited about it all well look emma thank you so much for sharing your journey and congratulations on thanks being a homeowner thank you i'll speak to you soon Emma Keywood uh, really messing up the curve for all first-time buyers. Uh, I certainly wasn't anywhere near as switched on when I was starting out on my house-building journey, but something tells me, Laura, you probably were. <laughs> no, I don't think I actually was. I think I I just rented for a really long time and just tried to build up savings. And I think just as my salary rose, I was able to squirrel away a bit more. But I'm also a very typical example of someone who had some family money to help them buy their first home which I think is something that we see so often Um, and Claire Seal later our other guest will talk a bit about how we all need to acknowledge some of these privileges so whether that's um, getting some family money getting inheritance 
or being able to kind of supercharge your earnings. Um, a lot of these are reasons why people manage to get on the housing ladder younger. And I think sometimes it's a bit dispiriting if we don't acknowledge that for the people that don't have the benefit of those things. And I was very lucky because even though I didn't have any of that, I bought my house a lot of years ago at a time when I could get a 100% mortgage and the cost of my house was not massive at all. I mean, it was nowhere near the current average asking price. Um, Laura, I'm going to ask you now to put your AJ Bell head of personal finance hat on and just to talk me through some of the nitty gritty of lifetime ISAs and even though I know you can't get them anymore, help to buy ISAs. Yeah, so both of these are really great schemes if you're saving for a deposit to buy your first home. So if you don't already have a help to buy ISA, like you say, that's now closed to new entrants. So let's cover lifetime ISAs first because they're still open. Um, So you have to be between the ages of 18 and 40 to be able to open one. You have to be using it for your first home. Um, So you can't have already, for example, inherited a home or even bought kind of an investment property with someone else or have any share in a home already to be able to use it. Um, You can put in £4,000 a year, as I mentioned earlier, and the government will top it up any contributions you make by 25%. Um, That £4,000 counts as part of your usual ISA allowance, so that £20,000 ISA allowance. So that's something to just be aware of. But essentially, you can't beat that uplift that the government's going to get you. No other savings account is going to offer you that boost to your deposit um, that the government will give you with a lifetime ISA. A few other things to cover, you can have a cash version of it, or you can have an investment option, and we'll come on to kind of the pros and cons of them later. If you're buying with someone else, then you can each have it. You can't have a joint lifetime ISA, but you can each have one of the accounts, which means you can get up to £2,000 a year towards your joint deposit. Um, But there are a few tricky bits that you need to be aware of. So there's a property limit of £450,000. Now, obviously, for lots of people, that's going to be ample and that's plenty. And they're not going to be looking to buy a property worth more than that as their first property. However, in some more expensive areas, um, you might come up against that limit, particularly if you're buying with someone else or you're buying your first property a bit later on and you're kind of skipping that initial small flat stage and going straight to a larger property. Um, Like I mentioned before, you must be a first-time buyer. And one of the little technical things that sometimes catches people out is that you need to have the Lifetime ISA account open for a year before you can use it to buy a property. So if you know that you're going to be buying in the next year and you think this sounds like a good idea, um, you need to weigh up whether you can wait that full 12 months before you use it um, or whether you want to buy in the next year, in which case it's not for you. So the crucial thing that you need to bear in mind is that there is an exit charge if you want to take the money out for any other reason other than buying that first property. Or there's kind of a secondary um, use for the account, which is saving for retirement, but we won't go into that. Um, so if you decide that you wanted to dip into that savings pot, then you would pay an exit fee to get that money back. And it's effectively the government trying to reclaim that bonus money that they've given you. Um, But it works out that you end up losing a little bit of the original money that you put in. So you just need to be aware that it's not an easy access savings account where you can dip into it if times are a bit tough. It's really should be viewed as money saved for your deposit and only for your deposit. Okay, but 
what about a help to buy ISA? Because some people might still have one of those. Yeah, so these closed to new customers a few years ago, but you can still have the account if you'd previously opened one. It works out in a really similar way. The government gives you a similar percentage top up, um, but you can pay in much less and it's a monthly payment that you can put in. Where the Lifetime ISA is really flexible, you could put all £4,000 in at the start of the tax year or you could drip feed it in each month. Um, the help to buy ISA, you have to pay an amount of money in each month and then the government tops that up and it's a lower total amount each year. Um, it also has different limits. Um, so the property limit is £250,000 outside of London and £450,000 inside London. And so if you're buying in some of those more expensive areas outside of London, then you might find that that property limit is too low. And frustratingly, it's not been increased since the um, product was launched a number of years ago. So it might be that you've got a Help to Buy ISA account open and you think that you could benefit from moving to a lifetime ISA, which you can do. You can transfer in to that lifetime ISA, benefit from that higher property limit outside of London and the higher contribution and so government bonus. But you just need to be aware that any transfers will count towards that £4,000 annual lifetime ISA limit. So if you've got much more than £4,000 sitting in your help to buy ISA, you're going to have to transfer it over a couple of tax years. So it's just weighing up whether that's worth it. You just need to think about how long it's going to be until you buy a property, how long it will take you to transfer over that money, um, and whether you'll kind of benefit from additional government bonus um, from doing that. It just one final point on it is you can have both accounts open at the same time, but you can only claim the government bonus on one. So if you've got a helped by ISA open already and you've subsequently opened a lifetime ISA, you'll only be able to claim the government bonus and use that money for a deposit for one. It sounds incredibly complicated, but we know mm -hmm. that when you have enough money to buy that house finally, it is all worth it. Um, just thinking about the different kind of investments really briefly, Laura, that you can hold in some of these because you can choose cash or qualifying investments. Most people will know stocks and shares. So how do you know which one's right for you? Yeah, and I think this is like a tricky issue because at the moment you're not really getting much interest on cash. There's been a big increase in what savings accounts are paying at the moment, but you're still not really getting a great return. Um, what here you need to think about timescales. So if you know that you're not going to buy your property for kind of five years or more, then I think it's a good idea to think about investing. That's kind of the minimum period we usually say for investing. And that means that you can ride out some of the ups and downs of investment markets. Um, if you know that you're going to be buying within the next five years, then it's probably better to stick to cash, but make sure that you're getting the best interest rate that you can. Um, and when it comes to cash, if you know that this is a kind of longer term thing, so say you think that you'll have enough money in about two or three years time, you could look to boost that cash return by doing things like getting a fixed rate account or getting a notice account, which offers you slightly higher interest, but it means you either can't access that money for a certain period or you have to give a certain amount of notice before you can withdraw that money. Now, you can do that with things like a house deposit savings because you know that it's a longer term thing. It's not money that you're going to want to dip into month in, month out. Um, if you do know that it's going to be longer, 
term and you're not realistically going to buy for kind of five, 10 years, then investing can be a really good option to boost your returns. Because effectively, the higher return you get on the money, the fewer years you have to save and the sooner you can get on that property ladder. Yeah, because in the end, it really is all about making what you've got stretch to cover all of your day to day needs. I'm just thinking at the moment about, you know, trying to find a way to save because it's so hard with inflation the way it is. And to try and, you know, pay for that day to day and try and save for your dream. It's not easy, particularly at the moment. And someone who knows all about the challenges of that is Claire Seals. So she started the Instagram account, My Frugal Year, to anonymously document her journey out of £27,000 of debt. And the Instagram account really took off. She has since revealed her true identity. She's gone on to write three books, including Real Life Money, An Honest Guide to Taking Control of Your Finances. But now, having paid off all of that debt, Her, along with her partner and their two sons, have bought a house. And so we talked to her about how she went from debt to deposit. So, Claire, thanks a lot for joining us. You kind of documented your journey out of debt to your, I think it's 88,000 Instagram followers now. But um, talk us how you went through the process of coming out of debt and then saving for a deposit for a house. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's taken a little while. It's been three and a half years since I first set up my account, a lot of which has been in a pandemic. So it has it's felt like a really strange um, sort of time anyway. But my life has kind of changed beyond recognition, really. And I I don't really even know why I set up the account in the in the first place. I feel like it's it's quite popular now to kind of document journeys on social media um but at the time it wasn't there weren't very many people doing it about about money um but it was really important it became really important for me it became a really important sort of motivator and something that kept me accountable um and then it was career changing so for the first sort of 18 months two years it was really um you know it was kind of doing the paying off learning the lessons educating myself kind of finding catharsis in this community finding out about products and and kind of just financial knowledge that could help me and chipping away at the debt quite slowly to begin with um and during that time, I went self-employed. I was probably earning around £30,000 a year for the first couple of years, um, doing a variety of different things. And then towards the end of paying off our debt, I kind of published a book and was able to, um, you know, grow the platform even more. I was able to earn a bit more, which obviously, um, you know, channeled straight. We channeled that straight into into the debt. Um, and were able to pay it off by March 21, which was two years almost exactly after I'd started the Instagram account. Um, and then our focus really switched to saving for a house. We in 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 2020, when the pandemic broke out, we had a really horrible experience where 
um, our landlords decided to sell up rather than do a bit of maintenance that we'd asked them to do. And so we found ourselves in a situation where we we're having to sort of explain to a five-year-old why he had to leave his house and that we didn't have any control over that. Um, and I think, and then we ended up moving house the day of the day that the first lockdown started and it was unbelievably stressful. And I think feeling so out of control just really cemented for me and my husband that once this debt is paid off, we are going to put everything that we've got into creating a situation where we can't be thrown out of our home on someone else's whim. Um, And so that was like a natural progression for us. Um, And during that time, kind of both of us had uh, been able to we were earning more significantly more uh and also kind of our eldest child was in school our youngest child was getting the kind of 30 hours free childcare, and it just it sped up our ability to save kind of um unbelievably um because we had so much more disposable income um and yeah then so then we completed on our house uh, mid-June this year so kind of just over a year after we finished paying off our debt and I think you know I'm realistic about the fact that it might have taken a bit longer than that or even quite a quite a bit longer than that had we not both been in a position to uh, earn a significant amount more and I'm always kind of trying to find a balance when I talk to people about this between Yes, there are lots of things that you can do to um, improve your financial position and to, and to buy your first home to pay off debt. But also there are those external factors of uh, how, you know, crucially how much you earn that will also dictate that. Yeah, and I think that's really important to acknowledge because I think some people out there who might be saving and might not have had those additional circumstances. So whether it's an increase in your salary that was kind of unexpected, or whether it's like a sudden windfall of money through a bonus at work or some family money. I think if people were out there trying to save and they didn't realise that people had that because people didn't talk about it, it would seem quite dispiriting because they would Mm -hmm. think everyone's kind of overtaking me in this this saving for a deposit. So I think that is really crucial to, to acknowledge, isn't it? That people's life circumstances can be so different and that has... A big impact on how much you can save definitely and can change very quickly in one direction or the other as well so uh you know we've got kind of on the one hand you might have a windfall or a sudden increase in salary uh on the other hand you might have a redundancy or an illness um you know and it can all change really quickly but i think one of the things i'm always quite keen to point out is you know, there's a big culture actually on social media and particularly on Instagram for the last few years of sharing, you know, that that amazing first kind of like key in the door moment when you buy your first home. But nobody is saying, thanks, granddad, for the 70 grand you gave me. No one's saying that part. And so when we bought our house, especially because I'd been so transparent all along, I was very, very clear that it was not like a gifted windfall in my case it was the fact that having a platform allows you to to command um you know a higher income and um 
you know, but also crucially, it's also still very easy to allow lifestyle creep to eat away at that. And that for us, it was a combination of that and then knowing what to do with that money rather than just allowing it to kind of, um, you know, disappear on the miscellaneous things. Like we all know how easy that is. Yeah, it's so easy that when you get that little pay rise, rather than living to the same style that you were previously, you go for a slightly more expensive restaurant when you go for a meal out or you buy clothes in a bit more of an expensive shop. And and those things kind of add up until you realise five years down the line that your life is actually quite dramatically, financially, quite dramatically different to how, how it was previously. But I guess also a lot of the tips and tricks and habits that you learn from paying off debt translates so well into saving. So rather than funneling that money towards credit cards and overdrafts, you were instead funneling it into a savings account. Definitely. And it felt like, I think it felt even more like a sort of blessing to be able to do that because we were used to kind of using that money to fill a hole and now we were using it to build something. And it it is, it, you know, the, the habits are the same but I think the there is like still a a mindset shift and I think if you're used to not really having like a positive net worth or not really having not using your money to grow something or to build security uh, it can be really hard to feel like that's something that you're allowed to do or something that you deserve so there was definitely had to be sort of a mindset shift I know quite a lot of people who've done the paying off the debt and and got all the brilliant habits and the brilliant knowledge but then when it comes to 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 channeling that money into building something there's like a bit of a block there and um you know I think you have to be quite careful not to fall down that route as well of kind of I've got all of this disposable income now and some people don't feel comfortable having money I know a lot of people you know my my mother is like it uh of kind of they don't really feel like they deserve it so as soon as there's some money in their bank account they have to get rid of it um and I'm aware of that tendency in me um and so what I did was kind of channeled it all immediately into a savings account so it wasn't sitting somewhere where I had to make a decision about what to do with it. Uh, and it wasn't sort of there to be spent. It was out of my way almost, but it was there kind of, uh, you know, slowly building up to enable us to, to buy a house. And so you talk about some of those kind of psychological barriers in a way. Was there not an element when you paid off all of that debt finally that you just wanted to splurge and reward yourself and kind of say, oh, we'll allow ourselves a couple of months off and we'll just um, enjoy it? Uh, was there not, and, and did you have to fight that urge? Or Definitely. And I think that isn't necessarily like a bad thing to give into. Sometimes like I, I work Uh, in like a coaching capacity I work with quite a lot of people in different circumstances and um you know so a lot of people who have a significant amount of debt to pay off they're already homeowners and other things in their life are kind of already fine um and so I think sometimes not everyone has like a, a sort of designated next step in the the process and so I think 
under those circumstances, as long as you're not falling back into the habits that kind of got you into a difficult situation to start with, it's okay to kind of, um, you know, reallocate some of that money to enjoying yourself. And like, I, I really passionately believe that it's important to enjoy the money that you earn um, as well as kind of shoring up your future because you really can't take it with you. So, uh, you know, I think that kind of extreme frugality f- for life can can really affect people's well-being in a negative way as well. Um, but I think we definitely set aside more money to enjoy ourselves and kind of specifically because for the last sort of nine years since we've been together all of my husband's salary has gone towards supporting our household and our children um and he was always the the kind of breadwinner um and working really hard and so it was important to me that kind of now that I was earning on a par with him and now that not everything was spoken for, that actually each of us got some money that we decided what to do with ourselves and that it wasn't all for the for the family, that we each get to keep a bit of, of what we've earned now. Um, so I, I think as long as you do it on purpose and it's not just falling back into habits, you know, into old habits or having like a sort of screw it couple of months where maybe you want to do some of that good work then it's okay to you know it it is massive achievement to have paid off kind of any sum of debt and I think you know it's a really tricky balance between not sliding back into carelessness but also not holding on to all of that anxiety that you do feel when you're struggling with debt so I think always what I'd say to people is kind of whatever you do with your money just do it on purpose and so for people that are saving for their first home now um, whether that's coming from a background of having been in debt or whether it's just starting from a kind of neutral point of view what tips did you learn through paying off your debt and through saving um, that you think would really help people kind of boost their savings or focus their savings? So I think the first thing really is to treat your savings like a bill. Um, so that's something that really helped me. I am, uh, you know, I'm not particularly good at keeping on top of life admin type things I have ADHD and I find it quite hard to stay on track of stuff like that but if you set it up like a standing order um to a savings account and treat it like another bill it's like a non-negotiable that I find that really helpful and I know quite a lot of other like neurodivergent people do and also just people who are like busy um so treat it like another bill and automate everything that you can as well so whether that is a standing order or whether you're using a savings account um, that has like an auto saving feature so like roundups or um, you know saving apps that take uh, a little bit of money every few days um, is like a really really good thing to do because it it's not really adding to your mental load or your busy life um, but it is kind of you know it is allowing you to save 
Um, I'd also say definitely look into any of the schemes, the government schemes that might help. So, um, you know, whether it's helped by shared ownership, there are lots of ways to kind of get a, a, a real foothold on the property ladder without necessarily having to have huge amounts of money. Um, and again, like there are some really good tools out there to help you to look at what you think you might be able to afford. You know, you don't you don't have to try and get onto the property ladder at rung six. You know, it might be that you start with something a little bit smaller or something that's not quite in the perfect location. Um, and then you kind of, you know, change things as as you get older and as you progress in your career maybe or as your circumstances change um but yeah I I think having a plan and having an idea of of what it is that you want what you're looking for and then um you know automating as much as possible to to follow that plan is is really sort of a, a great way to do things kind of having both both sides of that And you talked a bit in your kind of journey out of debt, you talked a bit about how to talk to other people about that. So whether that's your partner and kind of acknowledging um, that debt in the first place or whether it's talking to family. Um, Lots of people now obviously buy with family members or with friends or with partners um, because that's a much easier way to get on the property ladder than trying to do it solo. So how should people go about talking about that kind of saving process and um, involves merging finances in a way that people might not have done before so how do people navigate that I think talking about money is something that you know is just still really hard it's one of those subjects that's almost always uncomfortable it doesn't it often doesn't matter it can be people that you're very like intimate with in other ways whether it's a partner or whether it's like the, your best friend since you were tiny and you know what everything else about each other but you might not even know each other's salaries um but I would say normally if you can be brave enough to be the first person to raise the topic you'll be very pleasantly surprised by how ready other people are to open up as well so um you know I think being on the same page financially as your partner is absolutely crucial um my husband and I really danced around it for a long time um because we'd been friends for a really long time but we got together and three months later I was pregnant and so we had been making it from one day to the next getting to know each other kind of as partners and how we worked as a family alongside that and it we didn't really do any of it deliberately we didn't do it on purpose we kind of fell into the way that we managed our money so when I started posting about it online it it became easier to talk to him about it um and I would say also if there's something difficult that you don't want to discuss directly with your partner like maybe don't make an Instagram account but like writing it down can really help um so because it gives you a chance to kind of put everything out there without um you know being interrupted or without worrying that you're going to forget what you're going to say um but once we were able to get on the same page and figure out a structure like a financial structure for our family that worked it's just been so much easier and it makes communicating about those 
smaller things that do come up when you live with someone where you share finances just so much easier because we have this kind of foundation understanding um but I think another thing to kind of just consider is that not everyone every everyone's got their own kind of map of the world when it comes to money and not everyone um has the same like education not everyone has the same opinions about it not everyone has the same financial privilege and so um you know when you're talking to kind of friends or family especially if they're of other generations kind of almost going into the conversations not really expecting to necessarily be on the same page um and and you know being open to finding like a middle ground is really important and when lots of people save to buy their first home they just think about the deposit they think okay I need to get x amount of money together to be able to buy the type of home that I want um but obviously I know from experience of buying somewhere there's so many other kind of hidden and additional costs did you discover that when you bought and how how can people budget for those so we did we did discover that. And I think obviously working in the area that I work in, I had probably more of an awareness of those things uh, going into it than a lot of other people do. But I mean, I think the the main thing is really stamp duty. And there's obviously the first time buyer discount on that. And also there is a threshold under which you don't pay stamp duty, but it desperately needs reviewing um just because house prices have skyrocketed so much and that threshold hasn't shifted um so you know houses that would a the house actually is more expensive but b people are having to pay stamp duty on houses that they would wouldn't have had to before um especially kind of starter homes um and so yeah i think when you sit down and kind of make your plan for saving your deposit definitely also research what your what other fees you're likely to be to to pay and and some of them are sort of you know optional like so you can go with a mortgage broker that where you have to pay a fee but lots of brokers don't charge a fee because they just charge a fee from um they charge their fee to the lender so looking into all of those um, costs and how you might be able to reduce or avoid them when you make your plan I think is um, you know a really great thing to do because the last thing that you want to do is um, you know be in a position where you think that you can afford to buy a house and then all of a sudden you realize there's seven and a half grand stamp duty that's going to be due and you're not going to be able to pay it um, by completion there's also the the deadline by which you have to pay it has been um, shortened so it used to be that it was 30 days after you moved in which you know for some people might give them the the grace period that they need but now it's 14 days um, so there's all kinds of, of things to consider and I I would suggest sitting down having like an afternoon especially if there's two of you doing it together um, at where you do all of this research and you kind of factor it into your to your plan. And the cost of living crisis at the moment means that lots of people who were kind of on a path to save for a deposit um, are now going to struggle to make those savings each month because the cost of everything else is rising by so much. So what tips would you have for those people that are maybe focused on that goal of their first home, but 
but struggling a bit at the moment? So the first thing that I would say is um, it all depends on kind of your timeframes. So if you're looking, if you were hoping to be looking at buying a house within the next couple of years, but you now think it's going to be more like five to seven years, uh, it might be worth looking at either locking that money away uh, in a, a savings account with a higher um, a higher return in interest because um, quite often if you lock your money away for kind of two, three, five years, you'll get a better interest rate um, or looking at investing it perhaps um, where you might get a, a better return on that. Um, but obviously loads of research needed there and, and potentially consulting financial advisor. Um, but the the main thing that I would say is just tr- to try not to give up. It can be really disheartening if suddenly the goalposts get moved and they are being moved again and again by this cost of living crisis and and just the geopolitical kind of situation in general um but it it's it's worse i think if if you give up and then you have an opportunity in future to buy and you've kind of squandered it through being a bit sort of apathetic or uh, discouraged so what i would say is when you're staring down the barrel of something that's like a big goal that's going to take a long time and maybe longer than you thought it it would it's just that that time will pass anyway so whether it's two years or three years or five years no matter what you do within that time it's going to pass anyway um so just keep chipping away if you have to reduce the amount that you're saving each month for a while to kind of soak up those extra costs then do that but maybe try and still like ring fence a small amount that you save every month so that you stay in the habit um and just you know sometimes you do just have to slow down or take a bit of a pause but try not to go backwards amazing thank you so much for sharing all of that it was really interesting thank you so much laura laura claire's story is just so inspiring and as you said earlier you can find claire on instagram at my frugal year um, and hopefully she has definitely given you some inspiration as well and in emma's case hopefully she's kind of shown you the way it can be done if you think ahead do check out at Doddle app on Instagram as well. Uh, if for no other reason, then it's got some really cool monsters on it, um, but it's also got a range of investments like Lysis. And our next episode will continue along this path, but it will give you everything you need to know about buying a house. So everything from mortgages to putting yourself in the best position with estate agents. Yes, we'll have to um, leave it to you to find the curtains and uh, sort the moving truck bits out, but hopefully it will have everything else. Uh, as always, we've got loads of articles on house buyings, including one on lices that Laura has written, in case you couldn't jot everything down as she was speaking. Uh, there's also lots of tips on there for things like saving for kids, asking for a pay rise and starting your investment journey. And don't forget, we always like to hear from you. So do get in touch via Instagram. We're at ajbellmoneymatters or you can email us moneymatters at ajbell.co.uk. And thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye.
Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.